This morning we're going to be talking about patience. And while I came close to starting with some Guns N' Roses lyrics, I opted against it. I'll go this way instead. Patience, by definition, is the capacity to tolerate or accept delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Friends, whether you're called to practice it in the carpool line, the DMV, the doctor's office, or even waiting for your little sisters to get out of the bathroom, patience is never simple. It's never easy. Patience is the confession that we are not in control. Patience is the acknowledgement that this is not going the way I want. I should not have to deal with this. It should be done already. This should be over. I want it my way and it isn't working. Friends, we live in an increasingly instant gratification culture. I remember celebrating that Amazon could get me anything I wanted in a week. Then it was two days. Now they're working on two hours. We want it and we want it now. We don't like delays because we don't like feeling out of control. Recently, my family went to a sit-down restaurant. We don't do it very often, but we had a gift card, so we went for it. The plan was for me to meet Pam and the kids at said restaurant at 5.30. We were hoping to meet the di- beat the dinner crowd. But guess what? We had to wait. As much as I wanted to storm into the dining room and commandeer a table for my family, as it turns out, they don't allow that. So we waited for like 45 minutes. And finally, we were seated. And I don't blame the host of this or the waiter or the, the kitchen staff. I know everyone is understaffed. But it took over an hour for us to get all of our food. And it was an exceedingly frustrating experience that reminded me that I'm not in control. It reminded me that I lack sovereignty. And it reminded me that I lack omnipotence. Friends, patience is not a characteristic we love. It's not a characteristic we often seek. But patience is a helpful characteristic because what it does for us is it locates us and it reminds us that we are not God. This morning, James is going to exhort us to patience in his quest to push us to spiritual maturity. So as we turn to the text this morning, let's pray about our time in the Word. Gracious Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that your Word is alive, that your Word is active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating the divisions of soul and spirit, exposing the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes, that we might see in your Word your truth, that we might see in your Word your heart, that we might see in your Word you. And Father, we ask that you would grant us understanding and conviction that what we see, we might live out and that you might make us more and more mature in our faith in Christ. Father, we trust that your word will accomplish all that you've set out for it to do. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in the final chapter of the book of James. We only have a couple of weeks left. A book that thematically I have called Portraits of Maturity. 
And I've done so because James, the brother of Jesus, is writing to believers. That is, he's writing to people who have already placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That is, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, people who have believed that Jesus Christ died for their sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That Jesus Christ was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And now Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. That's what we believe. If you profess Christ, that's what we're saying. We believe Jesus died for our sins. And so James writes to people who've professed that. And we have to understand that correctly when you come to the book of James, that he's writing to people who have submitted their life to Christ, who have surrendered to Jesus, who are willing to call him Lord. For if you don't see it that way, you start to look at James as if it's a moralistic book. Work harder, do more. But that's not what James is writing to. He's writing to a church that's endured hardship. He's writing to a church that's been persecuted. He's writing to a church that's gone through some things and he's trying to build them up. He's trying to show them what maturity looks like so that they'll know what they're being called unto. And church, it's the same for you and I. James writes to us that we would become mature, that we would grow in our faith, that we would aspire to some things spiritually, that we wouldn't be content just to have an entry ticket into heaven, but we would understand that the grace that saves us is the grace that transforms us, that God's goal for us is sanctification unto glorification. He wants to grow and mature each of us. He wants to transform us. So this morning, we're going to lean into James chapter 5. And what we're going to see in James 5 is that spiritual maturity is patient. And he's going to walk us into patience. And what does it mean? And what does it look like? And how do we accomplish that? So let's jump in. James 5, starting in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, beloved, let's pause for a second to get this in context. If you remember, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, James has been challenging the rich. Do you remember from last week? Come now, you rich. That's where we were. Now he calls for patience. And what I want you to see and what I want you to kind of get your arms around is the question that underlies this whole thought in chapter 5. Who is in control? Who's in charge? Because that's a lot of what the entire book of James is about. Are you submitted fully to Jesus? Because that's maturity. That's what James has been putting over and over and over again before us. For the last several weeks, James has been pushing back on you thinking you're in control. Making your own plans. Seeking your own sufficiencies if you can be enough. And now James comes back with, be patient. Why? Easy answer. James is wanting you to see that patience is the acknowledgement that God's plan and your plan are different. Let me say that again. Patience is the acknowledgement that God's plan and your plan are different. 
So patience becomes submitting to him and his timeline. For example, I want to be out of this store already. And yet. I want to have my coffee already. And yet. I don't have time for these interruptions. And yet. This is not what I planned for. And yet. You have a plan. You have a timeline. And it doesn't work out. Beloved, could it be God has a very different timeline than you do? Yes. In many regards, this takes us back to the first chapter, James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Take that into consideration. Do you see patience? James is exhorting us to find trials joyful. Why? Because God is in control in a difficult situation. I can trust God. In a difficult situation, I can trust His purposes. In a difficult situation, I can slow down and find joy because God is sovereign. And I can trust that He's got a plan for this, even if I don't understand it. And so James could charge us to be patient because God is sovereign. He's in control. He has a purpose. So let's get back to verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Look at his timeline. Be patient, brothers. Again, an affirmation he's writing to believers. Be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Do you see his timeline? Do you see what ends, what finalizes our patience? His coming. Do you know what's going to resolve the tension of your life? His coming. Beloved, James is trying to give us an eternal perspective. James is working at calling your gaze heavenward. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. And then James illustrates patience for us. Look at the farmer. James is writing in an agrarian culture. Happens to work for us. Most of us, and perhaps I should say most of y'all, get that. I mean, we grow seven things in our backyards. It's not farming, but we like to count it. The farmer is patient. He's utterly dependent on the Lord. The farmer is dependent on Monday. The farmer is dependent on Tuesday. The farmer is dependent on Wednesday, all of June, all of July, all of August, sometimes September. The farmer has to be patient all of the time. James is trying to give us a picture of the fullness of patience. He doesn't give you a picture of like, look at the guy in the fast food line. If you wait a minute, your drink will come out. He's giving you this long, enduring picture so that you would see and that you would understand that patience has an element of dependency. He's waiting for the rain. 
Can the farmer cause the rain? No. They, they didn't have systems back then to water their crops. You're literally waiting. God, in your time, you will bring your rain. In your time, you will provide. An illustration of farming is an illustration of dependency. We have to be utterly dependent. It means I will wait for you. I will be content to wait for you even until the coming of the Lord. Beloved, if you lean into that, this is a really hard teaching. Because if you lean into that, it means far more than grocery store lines and technical support phone calls. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's patience. But this kind of patience that James is exhorting us to is the kind of stuff that really requires us to trust the Lord and depend on the Lord for His timeline, and it extends to the hard stuff. And what I want you to see for this, from this, is for some of us, that means is we're going to continue to suffer. It means that some of us are going to go unhealed. Some of us are going to remain brokenhearted. Some of us are going to lack resolution. Some of us will not see the shadow lift. Some of us are going to endure real, lasting suffering. And yet, we are patient. We are dependent. We are looking to the Lord for His sufficiency. We're going to choose dependence on Him. We're going to choose His timeline. We have to be reminded of 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Have you ever been encouraged by that? Paul stops and says, Lord, take this away from me. I can't, I can't endure it. I need it to go. Lord, please take this away from me. I can't endure it. I need it to go. It's hindering me. It's twice. God didn't answer his prayer. Why? God's saying, depend on me. Trust me. Three times I pleaded about this. God, I I can't do this. I need your help. Will you take this from me? I can't, I can't endure this. Verse nine, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. But we need to have this eye that that Jesus speaks to Paul that doesn't say, yeah, that's hard, I'm going to bail you out. My people should not have to endure that. Now Jesus says, I'm actually willing to have you endure this. And not for a small season, for a lifetime. Because it's going to give you something deeper and richer. It's going to make you dependent on me. It's going to make you trust me. It's going to make you see me in the midst of it. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect 
in weakness. It's as Jesus saying, my power won't be perfect if you don't need me. If you're not trusting me. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Beloved, we ought to be edified by that because three times Paul prays, Jesus responds, I'm going to be enough. And Paul seems to find contentment in that. Okay, Lord, I'll trust you. I'll depend on you. I will wait until the coming of the Lord. Beloved, if you're waiting, if you're called to be patient, if you're asked to wait for his timeline, then you need to hear the words of Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He is sufficient. He is enough. You may not always feel that way, but friends, we can cling to the promise of our Savior that His grace will be sufficient. How do we find that? How do we live in that? James continues, verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James says again, be patient. How do I do that? He says two things. Establish your hearts. One. For the coming of the Lord. Two. This phrase, establish your hearts, is often translated, stand firm. Paul uses it in a couple of places. I'm going to mention two because it's going to help us understand what it means to establish your heart. You would find in Ephesians 6, Paul writes, stand firm. Writes it about the armor of God. Listen carefully to what Paul writes. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. He continues, verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So, beloved, how do you stand firm? How do you establish your heart? Well, according to Paul in Ephesians 6, you do so 
by recognizing you don't have the strength. That's the very first part of that. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. You don't have the strength. He does. Recognize you don't have what it takes to make the fight. You cannot stand against cosmic powers over this present darkness. He can. We need to recognize that there literally is a spiritual battle. I mean, you just look to the book of Job to find the evil one going to Jesus and saying, hey, can I go bug them? And Jesus saying, sure. There's a literal spiritual battle. And if you don't get attuned to that, if you don't wake up to that, that Paul's literally writing, you got to make a fight here. No wonder you can't be patient. Paul Paul is exhorting you. If you want to stand firm, you want to establish your heart. Realize that you're in a fight. And all the strength you need, he'll give you. All the tools you'll need, he'll give you. Everything you're going to need to fight this, he's going to provide for you. So take up the whole armor of God. But we need to be reminded, exhorted, really, to be in the Word so that it might be fastened around us. That's the belt of truth, right? We need to be reminded to be in our Word, in the Bible, so that we'd regularly be reminded of the righteousness that is our breastplate, that is ours in Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded of the peace that comes from Jesus Christ that surpasses all understanding. We need to be mindful of the fact that we need to be built up in the reality of our salvation, that He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we need to be bolstered in our faith to be reminded that Jesus paid it all. Jesus accomplishes everything. And it's the evil one who accuses you. It's the evil one who assaults you day after day with lie after lie. And if you're not reminded of this great truth of the faith and of what we have in Jesus Christ, it's going to cream you. So take up the shield of faith to extinguish the lies of the evil one. According to Paul in Ephesians 6, That's how you make a stand. That's how you establish your heart. That's how you remain patient. That's how you trust this timeline. I told you he had two uses. We'll go to the other one. Secondly, Paul uses this phrase, stand firm. He uses it in 1 Thessalonians 3. Let's listen carefully to that because it's used differently. 1 Thessalonians 3. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. 
with all of the saints. You see it here in 1 Thessalonians. You see that he wants to establish your hearts. There's a so before that telling you what is the means of him establishing your hearts. Paul says two things. One, may we come to you. Paul's desirous. He's actually praying that we could come to you. Why? Because Paul seems to think you need encouragement. You need to be built up. You need teaching. You need to be edified. You need being prayed for. I'm trying to come to you. And two, I want us to see this. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. If we were to track this back to James 5 and his exhortation to be patient, by how do we establish our hearts? How do we do that? We look at Ephesians 6, we'd find his strength, we'd find leaning into the word, we'd find being built up in the arm of God. What we find here in the second one in 1 Thessalonians is our need for community. It's our need to have God's people around us. It's that reminder that you cannot do it on your own. Have you ever seen a soldier make a stand by himself? Just one guy walking into the field. I got it. Let's do it. Me and 10,000 of you. It's a great plan. No. That'd be foolish. So why would you make a stand as a believer by yourself? And I want to be clear because coming to church, and I'll give you the testimony of Ben, right? I spent my earliest days as a believer walking in five minutes late and leaving 10 minutes early and being irritated that the church didn't know me. Whose issue was that? Say Ben's. That's correct. Like church is more than attendance at a meeting. I literally cannot emphasize that enough. Church is more than attendance at a meeting. As if when you get to heaven, God says, and the roll sheet, yes, then you were here enough. You need real community when Paul's encouraged these Thessalonians that they would be able to suffer They need to have their hearts established. He's saying, you need, I want to come to you. I want to encourage you. You need encouragement. You need one another. I'm praying that you would be built up, that you could encourage one another. I always get confused when I'm holding a Bible on a stage. We need to be reminded The author of Hebrews writes, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Even in that day, it was the habit of some people. You know, we don't have to get together that often. It's fine. Author of Hebrews is saying, let's consider how to stir up one another to love. Let's not neglect to meet together, but encouraging one another all the more as the day is drawing near to the coming of Jesus. 
So if we were to take this phrase, establish your hearts and understand that it also means to stand firm. When James uses this phrase, we ought to take those meanings and pull them back into James to understand. The beloved, if you're called to be patient, and you are twice in this passage, how do you do that? One, you've recognized you're in a spiritual battle where God gives you all of the strength, all of the equipment, all of the energy. He gives you everything you need. You just depend on him. And two, you abound in his people. You live in the community of other believers who can encourage you. It's one of the things I love about Calvary. We have a multi-generational fellowship. There are times when I sit down with people who are older than me and have more gray hair than I or less hair than I, and they tell me as I'm talking about my challenges of parenting, it's okay, Ben. It's okay. Just be patient. Hold on. Stay the course. Stay the course. Yeah, but you don't understand. No, stay the course. Yeah, but you didn't stay the course. There are people in our church who have suffered so much more than I've ever dreamed of suffering. And I sit down and I think, oh, this is terrible. My life is awful. And you hear somebody else's story like, it's not that bad. I'll be fine. We need one another. And if you don't believe that, Please come back next week because that's what the whole passage is about. We need one another. Beloved, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. The second part, going back to my first clause. We need to trust the Lord in His timeline. His return is at hand. Friends, do you think about that? Jesus is near. Jesus is eminent. I remember sitting in Stanley Toussaint's class at Dallas Seminary. Dr. Toussaint was in his 90s. His health was not well. Somebody asked me in class, Dr. Toussaint, do you think Jesus is going to come back in your life? Got this huge smile on his face. He said, absolutely. I need that kind of hope. We need that kind of hope. We're actually supposed to be encouraged, built up uh, about the reality of the coming of the Lord. It's supposed to help us, encourage us, help us to remain patient. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes about his coming. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He's coming. He's coming soon. Beloved, someday all of this will end. It seems like this is everything. It's not. Here in a little while, Matt's having us leading, singing, almost home. It's a beautiful song. It's going to remind us of the fact. (laughs) Jesus is eminent. He's coming. We're supposed to be built up by that. We're supposed to be encouraged by that. James continues with a couple more exhortations on patience. We'll speed up a lot. Do not grumble against one another, 
Brother, so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James talking about patience. Patience is recognizing his timing is different than mine. Grumbling is complaining about his timing. Thinking that you have a better plan, wanting your way. By the way, it's distinctly different from groaning. Um, you find groaning in Psalms 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You see a distinction between groaning and grumbling. Groaning is longing. It's seeking. It's seeking after God. It's not questioning his wisdom. It's pursuing him. James continues, verse 10, with some examples. As an example of suffering and patience, brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James gives us examples of patience. He points you to the prophets. And by that, he literally means any of them. That you would read their testimonies as they serve as examples of waiting and longing and long suffering, even pointing to Job. Beloved, don't take for granted that God gave us his word. He gave us this incredible treasure. And if you've never picked up on it, he gave it to you. The vast majority of it is narrative. That means it's a story. You know why narratives are beautiful? Because you can read along and say, I do dumb stuff like that. I've done that boneheaded thing. I need that kind of encouragement. God gives us narrative so that we can read along somebody else's whole story. Do you know how many whole stories you have in this book? Like from beginning to end? You could read the whole story of Abraham. You can read about Isaac. You can read about Jacob. You can read about Joseph. You can read about Job. The whole run of suffering. It is a beautiful thing. You know why God did that? So that you and I would be edified. We'd be built up. We'd be encouraged to be patient. We'd be encouraged to endure. We'd be reminded that God is a promise maker and He's a promise keeper. We'd be reminded of his faithfulness over and over and over again. Don't neglect the incredible treasure of his word. Finally, verse 12, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so you may not fall under condemnation. James gives one final exhortation. To swear here is to take an oath, it's to make a promise. It's to live by your timeline. So what is spiritual maturity here? As James is writing to the believers, don't forget, James pastored the church in Jerusalem. That's his church. These are his people. James is writing to exhort them to patience so that they would understand that spiritual maturity is trusting God's timeline. It's recognizing that God's in control. It's recognizing God is sovereign. So we don't just trust His plan. We don't just trust His purpose. We trust His time. So that you and I 
would have an understanding that patience is relying and depending on Him. And so that you and I would be called to establish our hearts to be built up by His strength and walking with His people, knowing that He will return and that He's coming. So, beloved, let us be called to patience, to trust Him more and more. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father, I'm reminded that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from You. I'm not going to get it on my own. My own will, my own flesh will not produce this. Surrendering to You will. Father, would You allow me to surrender more and more of my life to You? That I would seek after Your plan and Your purpose and Your timeline. Father, would you grant all of us the strength to trust you more and more and more? Would you give each of us just the vision of Christ that we could see him holy and lifted high and speaking words to us like, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So that as we struggle, we would trust you. Father, would you establish our hearts by reminding us that we're in a spiritual battle? Would you strengthen our hearts by reminding us of the sufficiency of your son Jesus, that you've given us everything we need if we would just turn to you, if we would render our lives to you? We could live in your the strength And Father, would you allow us to love and to abound more and more in the love of your people that we could be patient until the coming of the Lord. And Father, would you just encourage and edify us that you are coming soon, for that's our great hope. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.